Welcome, everyone, through all time and space to an all-new episode of Weaves on the Weekends, a podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode, we'll be covering the news from the first week of March 2021 and give our thoughts on whether the 2011 anime film Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex Solid State Society 3D is worth a rebury or a resurrection. My name is Jay Johnson, a part-time weave and full-time English language sensei. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Sam Martinez, part-time weave and full-time automobile mechanic. Now, Sam, the winter season of anime for 2021 is almost over. We're going to transition very soon into the spring anime season with My Hero Academia. Actually, I haven't looked at the full list. But for right now, let's finish up with a, let's say, where are we right now with winter anime where are you right now sam oh my goodness uh I, even though i've cut off a lot of anime i still have a laundry list of anime i that i'm keeping up with and i forget all of them so please forgive me if halfway through this uh through talking to it i actually add on more anime because right now wonder egg priority has been pretty good i was a little miffed that the last episode was a bit of a recap episode it's kind of weird because that's usually saved for episode 12 or episode 11, not episode 8. So it's just like, what do, anime? What do? Attack on Titan has been great. The Jujutsu Kaisen has been great. Skate has been fun. The next one that I can think of is Jobless Reincarnation. That one has been so good. I would say it's probably my favorite isekai right now i'm trying to think have we considered sword arts online and isekai or no uh with i think that is solely in the isekai genre for like that's kind of what trends said the well i mean originally log horizon did it first but since they're not trapped in that world anymore it's not really an isekai but well, what about that hex yeah okay yeah so like old examples of what yeah hosts you know, previous isekai were. So it's somewhat in that mixed ground, say way as Inuyasha is kind of an isekai, but not really. Oh, it's sort of like that, like you said, that halfway mark where it's like we want to be an isekai, but we want to have the benefits of it being in the real world as well. Right, because isekai just means another world. So no matter what uh, parameter that is, is still, as long as you're transported somewhere, it's still an isekai technically. True. Oh, now I'm thinking about like uh, the I'm a spider, so what? That's been fun as well, along with Ray Zero. Oh my goodness! I would have to say it's kind of weird because right now Ray Zero it's not as doom and gloom as it used to be. We're sort of on the upswing. That makes me feel good, but it also makes me worried because if you've watched Ray Zero, there's always a little upswing with a huge downswing of terror and despair things like that but how about you how has your anime been treating you so far uh pretty good like you i've dropped off a lot i picked up some because i did recommend or i did make note of like skate being infinite and like i've gotten on that train after episode seven there's like a really like there's like that breakdown moment between these like two main characters and I was like, okay, now I'm going to look into the series because mm-hmm. I like a lot of um, angstiness in my anime. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, angstiness. Because 
you know, they do have that Beyblade kind of aesthetic with like colorful oh, hair. Oh yeah, that no, that's a good comparison. I never thought about that till now. You're right; it's totally there. Right, it's good. So I picked up that off of your recommendation because you said it was good. Um, yeah. So Attack on Titan again. That's kind of just been the one thing anyone's been talking about, so they can ignore that. So Doctor Stone started back. Um, Promised Neverland started back. I started on the Horimiya train, and again, that's one of those anime that has like it's ranked like in the top uh 10 best-selling manga in japan horimiya for romantic comedy so all the manga readers had came out and in, in support of it so i'm like okay bandwagon time uh, <laughs> uh jobless reincarnation is pretty decent it does take the isekai genre in a very interesting direction where the main character is actually traumatized like not in the way that Subaru is traumatized because he lives in that world, but that the reincarnate reincarnate he takes his trauma with him. Right. Thank you. Yeah. He brings his trauma with him. And, you know, with these OP um, sword art light sword art online kind of type protagonists that, Oh, I've been transported into this world with a smartphone or I have all these things like I'm a slime, but I can perfectly recreate things because of my OP ability. So I'm really enjoying Jobless Reincarnation, like you said. Um, Having got around to Log Log Horizon Season 3, same thing with uh, Deadly Sins, Seven Deadly Sins Season 4, I believe. That's right, they Uh, did come back. I forgot about that. Dropped off Other Side Picnic, dropped off uh, Redo the Healer. I said I wasn't going to mention it, but just to say I dropped it. (laughs) Uh, Really haven't been keeping up with I'm a Spider, So What?, and Wonder Egg Priority has Best Girl for the year so far for me. So it's a pretty decent season. But to name other anime, I could keep going on. Like Kid from uh, Kid from the Last Dungeon moves to the starter town. Um, oh, yeah, uh, back you did drops. Um, there's like Yoru Camp season three or two, season three I think. So like you can go on and on and on. Like a lot of just with everything that was moved or canceled from last year just got dropped in this season. So other than that, um, it's been a good season, but ready to move on to the next season. So Sam, you got some news for us to talk about the future of anime? For the news, I can talk about how Demon Slayer opened up number one in New Zealand or how it's back at number two in Japan, or there's a third accolade, or how it's number two in both Australian and South Korean box office. But it has not only taken up the airwaves in the last two episodes, but it also has me a little miffed because I didn't learn about its uh, short stint here in the States until the day of or like the day right before it started. Not only that, but how limited it is. And they know how big of a weebs we are. So I'm a little miffed at that. I'm just going to skip on over to another news that we have. So, again, just talking about another awesome studio that does great works. MAPPA reveals that they are going to be making a water polo TV anime called Remain. And it's going to be teamed up with the writer for Tiger and Bunny. So, Jay, how do you feel about a new sports anime that is coming out and one that is dealing with 
water polo. Are you familiar with the sports? Um, it's really oh, so another anime that I didn't even pick up this season was the new volleyball anime. Oh yeah, it's like three twenty one or three fifty one. There, it's, it's just numbers. I can't remember. Idol. It starts off with numbers, and it's like Saiyan High School Volleyball's Boys Club, and I'm like, oh my god, why? But yeah, way too soon or way too close to High Q, which just wrapped up, and you know, we talked about. Uh, you see, I was about to call him Shoyo again, but uh, <laughs> winning best boy at the Crunchyroll Awards. He not that summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, talking about like sports anime, I'm very much in the camp of sports is one of those interesting genres that can be best done in anime. Because if you look at ping pong, the animation comes to mind. Uh, Haikyuu, of course, or no baskets again. Hajime no Ippo. Again, you can just follow that down the line to every single sport has a good, at least anime, to represent it. So I would say I'm looking forward to Wardo Polo. Well, now that you say that Studio Mappa is doing it and they take their kind of choreography that they put into fight scenes and then just transfer that over into a match of Wardo Polo. So <laughs> it's not polo polo with the horses it's water polo so it's very interesting i hope it doesn't fall into the camp of that anime with the the girls that use their butts to do sumo wrestling oh i know what you're talking about where they use their butts and their boobs to push themselves off of the floating obstacles things like that it's like wipeout but with another sport i forgot what it's called where you try to hit the person off the Exactly. So I I doubt that Studio Mappa would go in that direction, but it does have a chance because Mappa also does Zombieland Saga. So they do have this expertise and like kookiness. So I hope it's not going to be that, but I would definitely be excited if they take it in the direction of like God of High School kind of animation just with boys or girls in water. From the promo image, it seems like they're going all out with the animation in terms of water because wasn't Mappa? No, it was Ufotable that did Demon Slayer. I was trying to think of another work that Mappa did that was great with water, but it, it seemed as though, like from the image, that they're going to pour all a lot of their money into the game matches. And just to give a synopsis of the story, it centers on a boy who stopped playing water polo due to an accident in the winter in his third year in middle school. He tries to pick the sport back up again when he goes to high school. And the thing is, it's with a new team. And it also seems as though that the team runs into many problems in their first year. So it seems as though it's taking a little bit of haiku in the sense of it may be this kid who liked the sport and maybe has to get over his own insecurities regarding his injury as well as trying to mesh with this ragtag of individuals who are playing the sport it also says that the character designer is from Shiho Tanaka, which is the guy who made Banana Fish, as well as the anime director for Twittering Birds Never Fly, The Clouds, the Clouds Gather. So it seems as though it has a pretty interesting team that they have coming up for this anime. 
So on to the second bit of news, probably uh, last bit of news, just a little quick uh, thing. Apparently, Attack on Titan manga is going to try to set the record for the world's biggest comic book. And this is mainly trying to deal up with the hype on how Attack on Titan is coming to an end. See, it's saying how they want to publish it as a farewell to the series, and it's supposed to be a readable com uh comic that's it <laughs> that it, a comic that's actually readable for an actual Titan, and it's supposed to be measured in three feet by. Let's see. That's the only uh standard quote unquote standard uh, uh measurement that they have here. I'll I'll just go by the world's uh measuring system. It's supposed to be one hundred and one centimeters in length, seventy one point five centimeters in width, and weighing thirteen point seven kilograms. So for the Americans or the people who use the Freedom System, that's about thirty two thirty point two pounds. And it's supposed to be readable for a 15-meter Titan, such as Aaron Yeager. So, Jay, how do you feel about them trying to go out with a big bang, so to speak, in their farewell to the series? That is a very interesting collection uh, collection item of the series. <laughs> definitely represent, you know, the colossal nature of the series. And... You look at, there is a promotional video of you see like a person actually handling that book and how yes. ginormous it is compared to a normal person. And I was thinking like, oh, well, Shaq would have like Shaquille O'Neal would have like no problem dealing with that. But then I was thinking like, that's not how books work. So it is like Shaq's size, but he wouldn't be able to read it like a book. So it does feel like it would be use in a titan's hand properly so it's very interesting so a lot of series do have like a lot of like video games like publish like their artist um journal whenever the game gets its like anniversary date or like there's like merchandise for um, collection edition so it's very interesting that they're saying goodbye to the series in this way so maybe it's going to be like the first chapter so uh depending on which chapter it's going to actually display as, I guess. So it's going to be very interesting, and I like that idea. I don't think I'll buy it, but if I go to Japan and go to the Titan Museum, then hopefully it'll be there. So let's we could play a quick little game then. There's supposed to be 100 copies planned to be printed. Jay, can you guess the price of one of these said copies? Okay, so you're taking my... Um, my thing that I do with you. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's go. Well, the limited number makes me think that the price is high, but if they're not putting them up for auction, then it's like anyone's guess. But let's see, for a, you said like a 100 and something centimeter tall book, so, Let's see. Mm. Yes, the dimensions are 101 centimeters in length one, mm. and 71.5 centimeters in width, weighing 13.7 kilograms. Okay, so thinking about like standard collection items, I would say it's probably around 
roughly 300, 400 USD. So that is what? A hundred yen for every a hundred USD or for one USD. So what? Uh, what? Okay, let's say just fifty thousand yen. Is that your final answer, Jay? Yes. <laughs> that is quite the lowball. And okay, cool. uh, as you said, this gigantic chapter is supposed to contain the first two. Uh, I'm sorry, this gigantic manga is supposed to contain the first two chapters of the series. And the price of it is yen is one hundred and fifty thousand. So you got the fifty thousand part. You just need to add a hundred thousand to it, and that is equal to one thousand four hundred and forty nine U.S. dollars. Yeah, I guess I would guess I'm. Um, yeah, I guess I priced it at what I would pay for it, not <laughs> actual value. But yeah, I would be comfortable spending like five hundred on it. But yeah, I'm not spending twice as much. Or three times as much, actually. So now that I'm uh, thinking a, about it, it would be a little. Fair, if yeah, you're saying actually signed. If it's actually signed by the series creator, then I think it would be like worth that. But you know, maybe I'm not knowing the proper value of books since I haven't read a book in like years. I read, <laughs> manga, but I don't read. Well, it's a manga, so I guess that's not fair to say. But yeah, okay. I would assume that something like this, it should be signed. But I feel as though if you wanted it signed, you would have to pay extra for it. But I w just thinking about it, having a book that size, you would have to do something ridiculous in order to maintain it. Probably have it in a vault where there is a zero atmosphere so that you can preserve it, things like that. Like you said, this would probably be be best placed in the Titan Museum where it can get the proper care and attention that it can have. But enough about this science fiction anime. We are here to talk about the science fiction anime series movie that you have chosen for us this week, Jay. Would you mind talking to us a little bit about it? Yes. So as I always forget to mention that the time codes are going to be in the description. So thank you, Sam, for the news for our weekend roundup anime news highlights of the week. So yeah, talking about our 10 year review of a movie. So we've only done this twice before. We did this for The Secret World of Arietti and we did it for Break Blade or Broken Blade 4 of the series. So yeah, now we're going to talk about Okay, so the long title, I'm going to say it again, and I think this is the last time, but it's the Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex, Solid State Society 3D. And the 3D is very important, just to mention, because this is actually a, uh, it's also, it's, a, it's called a stereoscopic 3D version of the original movie, which came out in 2006. So we're kind of cheating, but... This is the version that's not easy to find. The The original version is the easiest to find. It's it's not streaming anywhere. It's mostly, you can only really rent it or buy it through Amazon Prime or the Google Play Store or iTunes. But yeah, I picked this because until we started doing this podcast, Sam, I did not know this existed. I only saw the standalone complex season one, which is subtitled The Laughing Man in season two, which is subtitled um, Individual Eleven. So I had no idea <laughs> a continuation of the series actually existed until recently. So Solid State Society is that 
continuation, even though most avid uh, Ghost in the Shell fans don't really consider it in that way. They kind of just think of it as like one of those um, uh, epilogue kind of situations. It's like a nice companion piece. It's not really part of the standalone family, yeah. which I don't think is fair, but I do have a really interesting weeb opinion about that. So we always go from our weeb opinion. We're going to talk about the studio voice acting profile, talk about who actually performed and go into the plot synapses, the reception impact, and just our general thoughts and say if it's worthy of being resurrected or reburied. And most people would think it should be reburied. So we'll see how we each feel about this. But Sam, our weeb opinion is basically a hard-coded, hard-coded statement that you would still box about, about this film. So it's usually based in hyperbole or uh, a uses some kind of superlative, like the best this or the worst that or the greatest this. So Sam, you said you had an interesting weeb opinion about this movie. So what was that? I believe that the Solid State Society is the Tokyo Drift of the Ghost in the Shell franchise. Okay, so... Uh, Okay, my okay, my weeb opinion is maybe close to that. Okay, so okay, let's talk about yours. So the Tokyo Drift. So can you actually? Can, okay, so I know what you mean, but can you tell me what you think that means? <laughs> so it's just funny because as we were talking about this, I was talking uh, with a group of friends about the Fast and the Furious franchise, and now to the way the series has become, it's sort of just become lambastic and just a series of escalation, whereas. In the first movie, it was about something real, something concrete, something tangible, palatable, and something good. The second uh, movie, it was more of a buddy cop film to the first one. So it was more of a lighter take on the first film. The third film, it got everybody hyped because we were going to a different country. We were finding a new style of racing compared to what we have seen in the franchise and we wanted to see the the og characters deal with that and we go in to the franchise thinking we're going to get the old characters dom paul walker doing their thing in japan we're instead following this no-name kid that we have no idea who he is he's also this country boy so it's essentially just this fish out of water story it's interesting but not as interesting to be like a third act to the movie. There's also this other interesting character that gets introduced to save spoilers for Tokyo Drift for those who haven't seen it. There is something that occurs fairly emotionally. It gets wrapped up in Fast and Furious fashion. We're also teased by an OG character making an appearance at the end. However, it's literally at the end as a credits roll. Essentially, the film gives you blue balls. And you're sort of there thinking, this is sort of like a preclude, a prelude to something that could have been great, but they didn't film the greatness. They just showed us the stuff right before the greatness. Basically, just trying to give us money or sorry trying to feed the machine and make uh and get money from the fans who like the franchise it's also sort of the starting point on when the series just started becoming escalation 
they sort of came back with the story, but then after a time, it just became one of those, oh, it's another Transformers. Oh, it's that, that sort of thing. Sort of this rinse and repeat money-making machine that Hollywood had started doing. So, oh. yeah. So it's not the favorite of the franchise, but it's still acknowledged just because of what it did for the franchise. I think gotcha. that's what the Solid State Society does for Ghost in the Shell, where it has to be acknowledged. It, As you said, it's more of an epilogue. It doesn't really add to the series, but there is some character development that is shown that's interesting. However, it's overshadowed by the lack of lusterness of the story as well as some of the other things that are going on at this point. So it, you have to sort of begrudgingly say, okay, this is part of the franchise and try to pick and choose what you like about it, but sort of discount the rest to try to keep your idea of what is Ghost in the Shell pristine and quote-unquote pure. Okay, so I feel like maybe our weeb opinions are a little bit like simpatico in that regard because i wrote mine as so solid state society proves that america or the hollywood system can't adapt anime or sorry not that's not even the superlative but we'll never be able to make a good adaptation of anime so we do have like live die repeat by doug lyman that adapted all you need is kill but that doesn't have an anime so I'm just talking about animes, you know, currently that don't have representation in the Hollywood system. So like you can go back to like Dragon Ball Evolution and the Death Note movie. So all these concepts are just too incompatible with how Hollywood operates. And this movie proves that it can't be done. So if you look at the Scarlett Johansson, so like most recently, the Scarlett Johansson's version of Ghost in the Shell and how it just misaligns from what everything Ghost in the Shell is about, how it is very much a reflection of man's adversarial nature with technology and progress. And it just just paves over that to excuse away Asia erasure to make, you know, Scarlett Johansson, a white woman, actually, oh no, her identity was robbed from her, kind of justifying, you know, somewhat of racism in the Hollywood system. But to say that this proves that Hollywood can't do a good anime adaptation, because this is the most American movie. <laughs> uh, okay, this is the most ideologically resonant thing with America that could have happened. So if this movie was the Scarlett Johansson movie movie, I would I think people would have resonated with it so well because one, it has refugees at the as the bad guys. It has this uh terrorist uh this this foreign power resulting to terrorist actions. It has children in danger and it's not too hive mind about things. So like the original Ghost in the Cell series had two seasons, both 26 episodes each. But this movie doesn't do so much of those ham-handed uh, exposition dumps that 
a season would allow for. And it does actually, it does get bogged down into like the techno babble and the high mind philosophy of things for the villain of the series or of the movie. And, but it leads into like all these unanswered questions that just leaves you unsatisfied at the end. And I think that's what you were talking about, Sam, is that it feels like Ghost in the Shell light. It feels like it's making calls to promote you to go watch the original series without giving you anything satisfying. And I feel like that's so American because like, if this was the first line in a series of Ghost in the Shell movies, kind of like in the same way that The Matrix works, you see Neo fly into the camera at the end of the first movie spoiler alerts for that 20 year old movie. But um, it feels like if the next movie in the series was actually season one. So they kind of like reverse engineered that the major has been away for this long time. And then she comes back to sector nine to work for them. Like that, that would works be interesting. just well. Yeah. That yeah. just works just as well as how this is like a movie of growth for, is it uh Takasa? Yeah, yeah. Togasa, Bato, and for the major, yeah. Yeah, that he takes over for the major's spot. So we do see him and his daughter in it kind of play off of each other, but or a very touching scene where he's like willing to sacrifice his life for his daughter. But to reverse engineer that works just as well. And I'm like, why didn't the Scarlett Johansson movie just do this movie when they knew that this movie existed? Because you can kind of see the profile of this movie in that movie, in that adaptation, but it doesn't do it well enough. So that's I, I my I think opinion. it's more or less they went with the original because they were trying, they were essentially trying to appease the fan base, essentially. They were trying to get that audience. They weren't trying to bring newer people into it. That movie was going to get flapped no matter what happened. I feel as though if it did follow the, st- the Solid State Society, it would probably have gotten maybe a little bit more flack than what it did. Also, the fact that it te- it, as you said, if you reverse engineer, it would essentially tease at sequel movies. I feel as though that would just outrage a lot of people because, as you said, trying to reverse engineer going backwards because essentially at this time, well, I, I don't know if we want to go into the story uh, just yet before we, we hit everything else. But one of the characters is essentially before this movie, he wanted to stay natural, meaning he didn't want to get any body augmentations. However, at this point he has gotten to the point where he can't function within section nine without body augmentation. So he has very minimal body augmentations. That is a big deal because body augmentations is against his and his family's religion or spiritual views, or if it's not even that, but it's against what their beliefs are. He had to come to grips with that. I feel as though that was taken off screen. It would, it would have been nice to see him struggle with that but that was where he was at this point as you said this film was more of a epilogue so you know just showing the growth of these characters moving along and to sort of 
start that character. It, w- it would sort of be weird. How would you take that character then and move him forward if the point of his character was essentially a parallel of somebody who started out wanting to be all natural and ended up having to have augmentations and show that character's worries and fear come to fruition because he was even though he had those augmentations it helps him in his job but it puts him in a bind in the third act of the film which definitely feeds into the fear what him and his family had about augmentations from the jump for sure because that's why i was just talking about my weeb opinion as talking about its place as an adaptation versus like what the movie actually presented because uh not to talk about like the plot yet because it the plot oh my gosh it 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 works six twenty six episodes of plotting into two hours so like the runtime's an hour and forty eight minutes and it feels like a full season of anime just or a full twenty six episode anime packed into two hours and so they felt rushed to you uh, or was it just a good felt, piece? it felt like it was very distinctly had its own identity from the first and second seasons of standalone complex where this was more of a action thriller so it does feel like it it feels natural for a two-hour paced movie while the seasons feel perfectly paced for 26 episodes so that's our so it was good pacing but just the amount of content as you said pacing was good you just felt you got as much out of that movie as you would if you had sat down and watched a whole season. So they I did agree. good in terms of pacing and making that film. Well, yeah, in my opinion, but I have some more critical notes about that and see right. about why it deserves to be resurrected or reburied in the end. But Sam, let's go into our talk about the studio and the voice acting cast for this movie. And so much of anime I love is done by production IG that <laughs> it always surprises me that Whenever we come across something like I don't know, it's like, oh, of course, production IG did it because they do everything. And <laughs> so, like, Solid State, they did, um, or uh, production IG studios did the Ghost and Soul series. They were founded back in 1987. So they have over 450 titles, Sam. I know this is like. Holy crap. Uh, that yeah like yeah that exactly i was like oh wow and they've done like video games they've done music videos they have done films they have done ovas and oh wait ovas onas and like proper anime tv series and we know them from broken blade so they did broken blade which we talked about in our last movie review but i know them because they do haikyuu they have done psychopaths they've done eden of the east and they done fully coolly. Um, the things that I didn't know that they did were the Persona 5 video games as well as Royale. They do two installments of the Star Ocean series as well as a Fire Emblem game. And they also did Sonic Riders. So they did anyone... Sonic Riders? The first yeah. one? Yeah. The oh, Sonic, that yeah. was the best one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if anyone knows Sonic Riders, the GameCube game, I believe. But, yeah, it is a terribly um, prolific anime studio and i'm always surprised whenever we see a production ig um series that we get to cover and like you know them because you talked about um the grand immortal grand pricks for like one of your top 
uh, mechas. So, yeah, are there any like um, anime that stand out to you in their history? As you said, it seems as though they did a lot of our anime growing up. I didn't really realize just how prolific they were. I was really surprised what you said about the Sonic Riders. And they definitely have their chops. I'm actually kind of surprised that they... Wait, you said that... Uh, are they weren't doing on any uh, current stuff right now? Because uh, you, currently, yeah. uh, they have some... They always have something in the works. Uh, what they most... What they did recently... Um, I mean, I'm caught up to their, all their high Q stuff, and they're still animating that. And they did Attack on Titan. No, that was Studio Wit. I'm sorry, and that was Studio Wit before it went to Studio Mappa. Um, but yeah, they're always constantly turning out anime. I don't think since their um, inauguration in 1987 they've done nothing. So um, <laughs> yeah. So again, it's just like a studio that's just always around, and they don't really have a distinct art style like uh, Kyo, uh, Kyoto Animation or MAPPA now. But yeah, they just turned out anime, anime, anime every year for the past 30 years. So just wanted to give a spotlight to them. Oh, no, definitely. And just reviewing their anime list with me, it seems as though they are right behind Sunrise in terms of what they do for mecha anime. Because, or at yeah, least the... Uh, not not or at least like the mecha slash cyberpunk genre because they also do psychopaths which is a big favorite of yours mm -hmm. they did gigantica whatever that anime <laughs> that we'll talk about in a couple of years but like that was one of the uh great mecha animes from the past 10 years it's like gigantica and of the bird man it has such a long title but it's um it's that anime that has like beautiful mech design and like everyone say oh you need to watch this when mech was dead but yeah they <laughs> have lots um alongside they've done a lot of collaborations with gynax studios as well as just studios out every in every industry so that's basically the studio um profile so sam the movie does have a sub and a dub and as the weeb as the proper weeb i watched the sub and as the um other we, you watch, <laughs> as the other we you watched the dub could cover both of the voice cast so yes uh, let's go one by one so it is a basically a seven man seven person cast but let's just talk about the three main leads which is the major or major uh, motoko motoko uh bato and togasa toga togasa toga so um, right. yeah so the japanese cast for the movie, the major, is actually done by Atsuki Tanaka, who basically this is her like most known role, but she's also done Caster in the Fate Stay Night series, and oh. her most recent role that people would you know identify her voice in is the plant demon from or the plant evil spirit from Juju Kaisen, the Hanami. Oh, Hanami. she's Hanami. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so very distinct voice actress. She has like she's like seasoned. She has so many things, but she's just known as being the voice of Major. So who's actually the voice of Major in the English dub? Though? The voice of Major in English is Mary Elizabeth Glenn. With this is one thing that I realized with the voice actors in the states here. 
they not only do anime, but they also do video games as well. So you would have recognized her from Cowboy Bebop, Naruto. She was Cornelia in Code Geass. She was Zabimaru in Bleach. She was also in Steven Universe, Star Wars Rebels, the Silent Hill game, and the Afro Sam- uh, Samurai game. Oh, okay, okay. So I okay. So yeah, maybe I don't recognize her name, but I definitely have heard her voice before. All right, interesting. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Bato is actually voiced by an OG voice actor, and let me not try to disrespect by mispronouncing his name, but it's put some respect uh, on his name. Yeah, it's Ako Atsuka, and this is like the old, well, one of the OG voice actors. So. He's known for his role as Bato, but he's also known as voicing Blackbeard or uh, let me think if I can actually say his actual name. Is it Marshall D. Teach? Yes, you got it. Yeah. And he's also the voice of All for One in My Hero Academia. He is All for One? Oh, my goodness. So old OG goats voice actor here and very much so he's so goat about it is that he does a lot of uh voice mirroring m- mirroring mirroring voice uh in the dubs so he also voices the roles and as samuel jackson <laughs> so, <laughs> if you ever want to hear a japanese man say the um mf word <laughs> he's the man to go to so so, uh, he, so if there's a pulp fiction japanese version it's him you're hearing as Sam Jackson. Yes, exactly. Oh, so, I have to look for that version now. Exactly. So, I mean, I know, I mean, I've seen him in the, I've he- I've heard his mo- voice more in the Marvel movies as, you know, Sam Jackson plays. Oh, Nick- yeah. That's where I recognize Fury. Yeah. All right. So who's the English dub for Bato? So the English dub for Bato, his name is Richard Epcar. He has also done a lot of mechas, like Speed Racer, Macross, Robotech. He was in Hunter Hunter. He was old Joseph Joestar in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders. He was in Kingdom Hearts, Mortal Kombat versus the DC Universe. And he's also Zin Shao from League of Legends. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, not, yeah, I can't identify his voice in my head, but... I'm bad with voices, but okay. In gotcha, Mortal gotcha. Kombat, he was the Joker. I forgot who his other character. He was Raiden, I think. Mm. If it wasn't okay. him, it was yeah. I think it was Raiden and Joker. Okay, okay. So okay, so again, yeah, seasoned voice actor. Yeah, I mean, American voice acting is very different from Japanese voice acting. So uh, a lot of things go from like their pay scale to how prestigious they're seen in their industry, but. Yeah, very interesting. So uh, last but not least, I guess, since he's, again, like you said, Sam, it's kind of a shift of perspective for this movie since the major does take up like the latter half. She's not the protagonist of the series, technically, or she's not the protagonist of the movie. The main follow. Yeah, she's not the main follow of the movie. So the main follow of the series is actually Togusa or Togasu? Togasa? You're right Uh, for the first time, Togasa. Yeah, yeah. Is... Uh, played by Koichi Yamadora, and he's another goat because he's the voice Japanese voice actor for Spike Siegel. In oh, Cowboy seriously? Cowboy. Okay. Yeah. And most recently, you would know his voice from My Hero Academia, where he voices Gentle the Criminal. In the oh, most he recent. was Gentle. That's a big yeah. range right there. Exactly. And also, just because I found the previous voice actors funny, I looked into like who other... Japanese dub 
uh, for other movies, and this voice actor does it for Will Smith. <laughs> He's so, Will Smith? Oh my yeah. goodness, that's crazy. I just, that, I just thought that was like a funny um, point of reference. Like, okay, one does Samuel Jackson, the other does Will Smith. So who's the English uh, voice for him? It's funny that you mentioned that because as I was doing the research here, it seems like it seems like on both ends that Togusa, or at least the voice actor for, for Togusa, is the most diverse or has the most flexibility and range in voice acting because the actor Chris Crispin Freeman for Togusa, oh my goodness, looking at his stuff, he was he was in the series Slayer. He's Al Yukard in Helsing. He's uh, Kire Kotomine in Fate Zero. He's Itachi from Naruto. He's Shizuo Hewajima from Dorara. He's in Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3. He's in God of War 2. And he's also Winston in Overwatch, uh, the gorilla character in Overwatch. And oh my goodness, dude, just this guy's another goat. I guess like they just got goats for Togusa uh, on both ends. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's very odd because like um, this movie did. Uh, it was shown at New York Comic Con, but again, like I had no idea until we started talking in like what to watch this year that this movie even existed, and like just all these back-to-back goats. Like the studio is great, the budget we'll talk about later, but uh, again, like this is a 3D version, so we're talking about back in 2006. So again, that's a little bit okay. So maybe that's a little bit fair. Maybe that's why I didn't watch it at the time because it was actually 2006 but this is the 2011 version but we'll talk about that after we talk about what the actual plot is of the movie <laughs> and this was a movie released on march 26 2011 with a runtime of an hour and 48 minutes okay i guess i'm gonna have to say the title again but ghost in the shell <laughs> Solid State society 3d is also known by the uh, alternative name another dimension is the stereoscopic 3d version of the 2006 anime of the same name so uh, if you're thinking that this is so confusing because it is because the 3d version isn't even available anywhere really i mean you do have like the blu-ray version that you can buy but the most ready version like i said to see is the 2006 version which does have 2006 graphics and what is added by the 3d is just basically when they take the system and put a overlay onto the existing animation it's basically just changing the lighting as well as the overall texture of the animation so we actually didn't get to see the 2011 version right sam no i didn't and now that you mention it there are some scenes where it would have been enhanced by 3d however the whole movie it just played like a regular film i think that's probably the downside of taking a film and converting it to 3d format whereas it's not cringy when you have a movie that's dedicated solely for 3D, as we have endured in the early 2000s. However, it's still bittersweet trying to watch a film that wasn't originally intended for 3D, and essentially the studio trying to make another buck, essentially refurbishing a film 
and saying there's something new about it when it adds little to the overall film. I guess the biggest thing was that it probably added to the audio and how you listen to the music. And much like all the other Ghost in the Cell videos or animations, the music was pretty strong in this film. So I can see the benefits of having the stereoscopic aspects in this film in the theaters. Oh, yeah, for sure. So it was not widely available in theaters, actually. So it barely qualifies as a theater release because it was singularly focused in Shibuya in uh, Tokyo. So technically, it's not a theater release, but it's still just to say that it was in theaters at a time. And the overall plot, so let's not get too bogged down in what the plot's about, but the simple summary is that this is post the TV series, so post season two, and the major has retired and Togusa is in charge of Sector 9, which is the special branch of the military for policing these like cybernetic related crimes. So uh, in this story, the Sector 9 is leading an investigation into a mass disappearance of uh, child refugees and pursuing a hacker named or goes by the name The Puppeteer. And this falls into sci-fi, police, and mecha, and is rated a 17 plus for violence and profanity. And I love that police is a genre tag for Japanese, <laughs> because again, the Japanese have a very special relationship with policing and the military. So that's the overall plot synopsis. And to say that, again, Mike, a big concern about the movie is that it does feel like it bogs down 26 episodes of a season of anime into two hours is so jarring i guess is the word because if you're looking at negatives for the movie that's like the major one is that there are some heavy-handed explanations it is packed inside of a action thriller while the other two seasons are more like contemplative about what the philosophy of being is like the whole theseus ship argument like how do you lose yourself inside yourself And it does tackle all these things because they go into who the puppeteer's identity is, what is going on with all these missing childs, and there's something about old people going on. So, again, there's a lot going on that don't want to get bothered into. But is there anything specific that you want to say about the plot, Sam? It was interesting. However, like, as you said, it it was... Well, I, I guess, like, the thing was that how the programmer sort of got out of hand, whereas the focus just wasn't on the refugee kids anymore. It started focusing on other kids, mainly kids of the people who were trying to investigate what was going on. I am a little fuzzy on the relationship with the old people as well as the kids. I, I guess in terms of how it was supposed to be beneficial for the country as a whole. So if anything, I might need a rewatch to understand that. However, it felt, it didn't feel as satisfying as the first two seasons, specifically the laughing man. That's was the season that I really, really appreciated that one as well as the first ghost in the shell movie, I guess, as you said, 
with The Laughing Man, I had time to sit and digest and understand the fears and the implications that were going on. Whereas in this film, it feels maybe a little bit rushed because of the multiple aspects that they're going. As For instance, as you said, with the uh, immigrants or I forgot, what was the term that you had mentioned? The refugees. The refugees. They could have, if they had made that a different season, they could have delved into that a little bit more. We could have seen more on how Togusa came into his own or how he is struggling and trying to replace the major. Things like that. I would also, for instance, when you when you mentioned the refugees, I completely forgot that the refugees were a thing because I was just more focused on the older people because I know that in Japan, they hold the senior citizens in high regard. And that's also why I guess I'm a bit confused on why you think that it would be an easier adaptation to do that over here in the States, because in the States, we don't really care about old people, just just being frank. I mean, maybe you have those families that uh, keep their grandparents at home, but for the most part, they just ship off the elderly or the sick to the nursing homes and essentially let them stay there. That's whereas in the Japanese society, they try to be more active in the older senior, the older citizens' way of life, well-being. So when an older person is not getting the care they need in a Japanese society, it's sort of a big deal. There is something wrong that's happening, you know? So that's why I was more focused on that and why their relationship to the younger kids was so important. Right. So not to rewrite the movie, but again, to say that this feels like, again, a full season or 26 episode season of an anime, if it's done properly, is that, that whole setup of following Togusa's perspective would have probably been like the first core of the season. So it would have been like the first uh, 12 episodes and then the major would have got uh, introduced and then that would have followed her for the last part of the se uh, season. But just to speak to, again, my weeb opinion about this is that that is, I feel like that is so American is that, <laughs> Oh, what are the old people doing? Kind of, cause like there is this perspective in like America cinemas that, old people are creepy they're a little bit sinister if you think about like the old witch in the co cottage kind of motif of um seeing how people can be dangerous through a horror kind of motif than how it is like more of a social commentary that japan or like the japanese audience would have vibed with so that's where i was going with it but that's me being no, a, that, 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 that's a good idea like you said it would uh sort of take that fear and sort of um, make Americans face what they view on the older population. Exactly. So that is basically the synopsis. So let's talk about quickly the reception and impact. So this movie was basically done on a budget of four minute four million USD, where Holy that was crap. basically basically done to implement the three D overlay system again that's just a system that changes like the light direction of a scene not really changing any of the key animation but also changing the texture that's on top of the animation so uh, my anime list gives us a 7.76 uh, 
uh, out of 10. It is ranked number 909. IMDB gives it an 8 out of 10. 91 for the studio, or sorry, for the audience reception on Rotten Tomato. Does all that sound, um, does that vibe with you? 91 for the studio, or sorry, I keep saying studio, but for the audience, um, 8 out of 10 for IDBM and 7.7 for anime. I'm more with, there's this individual, Marcus Deutsch of DVD Active. His score was a 6 out of 10. I'm not necessarily a 6, probably a little bit higher, maybe a 7, 7.5. Just because, as he said, it wasn't as strong as the first and second season. He also made a complaint on how it wasn't as bloody. That's not necessarily my complaint. However, with the track record of the franchise, you would expect a little bit more. If anything, they should have just made a third season, as you said, instead of a movie. There are things that they could have been that could have been done to make it a little bit better. So I'm more on the lower end rather than the higher end but which do you identify yourself with more yeah so we're looking at the scale of if it's worth a rebury or resurrection i would give it a rebury because it does feel firmly like even watching uh it's there are moments that has been repackaged and recreated from the series so it very much plays to if you've seen season one and season two, then there's like identical scenes mirrored in this, like that iconic scene of the major jumping off from a high point and then turning. I think invisible. they do that in every movie or every scene. They it's a staple of the series. It's a staples, but again, it's not adding anything new. It's making a callback to people that would say, Oh my gosh, it's a callback kind of that it doesn't really add any you know new context to it it's like just repeating old iconography and imagery of the season so we're talking about if it was actually a full season i would give it a pass i would say yes it needs to be revisited or resurrected but since it's a movie it's two hours when it should have been 26 episodes it's just all these things just play against it it's not as um, thoughtful about his philosophy or trying to educate people about an, a hive mind sci-fi concepts. And it's just action-packed thriller that a lot of questions go unanswered. It overlooks the issue of suicide in Japanese culture. So all these things just say, keep it buried in the dirt. How about you, Sam? I agree with you in that it should be buried. I really hate saying that because I like the ideas that they want to go through with the characters, mainly Tokusa and Bato, how they are adapting or the lack of adaptations on their part when the major is missing. Essentially, by the end, it's as though she never left. So it sort of undercuts the time where she is away from Section 9. It makes you feel as though none of the characters had grown in her absence. Essentially, she is the Goku of their universe where it made it seem as though that they can't function without her. However, the whole point of her leaving was to give room for the other characters to grow, mainly Togusa. It would have been nice to sit in that learning aspect with him, seeing how he grew 
seeing how the addition of augmentation, how if that causes friction in his family, how he handled it, if he's not handling it, things like that. It as 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 you said before, it would have been better as a series. And even though they have those points that I just mentioned, I still have to say rebury. All right, cool. That's a double reburied. So we put that thing, we dug it up, raised it, watched it. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was a it's a good thing that I've completed my Ghost in the Shell, you know, uh, knowledge. But now I can just you know pat it back in the ground and put daisies and flowers over it and never see it again for the light of day but sam that wraps up our 10-year review on oh, i said i wasn't going to say the title again but here i'm going to say it again ghost in the shell standalone complex solid state society 3d always add the 3d because that's the 2011 version so sam we're actually taking a few weeks off before the start of the spring season when we come back we're talking about a staple of the 2011 animes that came out that year but for right now let's wrap up this episode do you have anything to say before we go just a quick reminder that the antagonist of the series was named the puppeteer so that everybody can get the reference that i'm about to say i've got no code to bind me down to make me sad or make me frown zeros and ones all i used to see but now of that i'm free 